The Word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the Word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our Saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's Word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to bromleytownchurch.com. Praise God. God is here this morning. He's in our midst. And there's more that he desires to do here as well. My name's Johnny. And uh, delighted to be able to um, share with you this morning. Uh, Let's just bow our heads in prayer. Oh my God, uh, Father, we, we look to you now. Thank you that you are here. Thank you, Lord, that there is a deeper place for each and every one of us. There is more for us that you are yet to reveal and yet to do in our lives. Lord, we're all a work in progress, and yet you love us. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room, everyone who's come this Sunday, maybe out of the blue, Lord, that there is something for that and every person this morning. Amen. 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 Bless you. Now, um, Jonathan used a a phrase earlier, which is a key phrase in the message this morning. Uh, It was, you weren't expecting that. Uh, when we, had, we played this new song and there was jumping on stage. You weren't expecting that. And I, I've been thinking about, this is a phrase I've been thinking about, how the disciples would have spoken to one another when they were on the road with Jesus. How many times would, would have, uh, I don't know, Peter turned to Matthew and said, I wasn't expecting him to do that. You know, when, uh, in the first moment when Jesus meets Peter and he says, you know, put... Uh, your, your nets over the other side of the boat. They've been out fishing all night. Put your, your, your net over, and they brought in the catch so big they had to bring more catches. I don't think they were expecting that. It was beyond what they thought was going to happen. Soon as you think you know what Jesus is going to do in a certain situation, he would do something completely different. Something getting a a situation, turning a circumstance round. Jesus came in, and particularly when he was relating to people, as he was speaking to people, he would say things, he would do things that uh, would blow people's minds. He came with a mission, he came to turn over tables, he came to change mindsets and to begin to uh, transform cultures, he came eventually to turn whole uh, cities and civilizations upside down. But how he simply related to the individual, how he touched the individual person was so different, so shocking uh, to those around him. I want to touch on a story in John chapter 8 that I think is one of the most amazing ways that Jesus uh, deals with a situation that surely the disciples would have, would have been shocked and uh, would have been saying, I didn't, re- I didn't think he was going to do it that way. I didn't think, uh, I didn't expect him to do it like that. So in John chapter 8, verse 1, this is the story. Jesus returns to the Mount of Olives. 
But early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. What do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, All right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote in the dust. When the accusers heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. What an amazing story. What I love about Jesus is that he flips things in such an amazing way where the Pharisees come to point the finger. The Pharisees come and the teachers of the law want to trap him, want to catch him. And in the midst of something you think, how would I have dealt with a situation like that? How would I have responded? And the situation turns around to the point where the accusers are walking away in shame, where the teachers of the law are walking away uh, needing to go and fix their own thinking, needing to go and deal with their own hearts, need to think about how do I respond to the person? And it's about people. It's always about people. Jesus' concern, his cry, his compassion is for the individual as well as the community. So whether it's the Samaritan woman at the well or if it's the blind beggar on the street, whether it's the lepers that he encountered, the sick or even the dead that he came across, his compassion his concern was for the person. Whether it was the tax collector, the way he treated people unloved, people scorned, people rejected, was wholly different to the way of the world that he was living in in that moment. And time and time again, the disciples would have turned to each other and said, I wasn't expecting him to say that. I wasn't expecting him to do that. In the story of... Uh, the Last Supper in John 13, there's another moment where I think Jesus blew the minds of the disciples when they came into the upper room and Jesus put a towel around his waist and he knelt down before the disciples' feet to wash them. Now, feet are not my favourite part of the body. Um, that I, I don't know. We, you know, we tend to put our feet in socks and shoes, at least in the winter, and still our feet are pretty rank. Uh, but for those that spend their life on dusty, beaten roads, just in a pair of sandals, 
it could be quite different. I think this is one of the things where Christians are way ahead because we always wear the socks, right, and the sandals uh, and work that thing together. In fact, don't worry. If you're still there, it's coming back round. I have spotted young people these days in their sliders and socks and, uh, and, and maybe just keep going, keep going, whatever you want to do. So Christians, we're aware, but feet are not nice. Feet... Um, can be rank. I remember I was camping with some friends at a Christian festival, and it was one of those times, it was summer, but it had rained a lot, and it was, it was wet, it was so muddy, and one of my friends, he gave up with shoes. He gave up with wellies, I didn't think he had any, and he just decided, I'm just going to wear my flip-flops. It was like, imagine Glastonbury at its worst, and he's just in his flip-flops, and uh, after a week of being camping with him, there was a moment, and I looked at his feet, and, I, and the, the scripture, the story of Jesus came to mind. And I, I said to God, I, I could not wash them. I could not go near those feet. And you hear about Jesus. You know, I don't, I don't know, but I don't think the feet of the disciples would have been the prettiest because of the circumstance they were living in. You know, they were following Jesus. They were on the road. They were walking miles and miles with open-toed sandals, shoes, and uh, just imagine how rugged, you know, I'm not a, what was it, a chiropodist? Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to be a chiropodist back then. Um, even now. I'm not into feet, as you can tell. But <laughs> this is a moment where Jesus does the unexpected. He kneels before them. This is rabbi. This is master. This is Lord and Messiah. And he's the one kneeling before them, caressing, washing. You know, I don't want to go into too much detail, but he cared about the feet. And, you know, in that moment, Peter's the one that says, no, you will never wash my feet. I don't know whether he had the worst feet or whether it was just, a, Jesus, you're, you know, you're my Lord. I, I, you can't do that to me. And Jesus begins to explain, but, but I have to. This is part of who I am. This is what I've got to do to you. In John 13, 14 and 15, it says this. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. The example has been set. The example is there for us to behold. It is Jesus. And his word is this. Do as I have done for you. Do to others. Go to people and do what I have done for you. How we treat others. For me, as, I, as I've been working and looking at through this message, and just seeing scripture uh, arise, I've come to this conclusion. How we treat others is the surest gauge to determine how much of Jesus is in your heart. How you love people is the most tangible way of seeing how the gospel, the good news of Jesus, is being outworked in your life. If you have made Jesus... Lord and Saviour, how you engage with people, how you relate to people, is a marker for how deep that gospel message 
has penetrated you, changed your life, renewed who you are. And that is what this sermon series is about. Relate. How we relate to other people. The gospel message, salvation itself, is about making us right with God, about bringing us into relationship with God so we can love God. And then it is seen, it is outworked, it manifests through our relationships with people. Love your neighbor. So today we're going to be looking at Jesus' example. We're going to be looking at how we can love people limitlessly, unconditionally. And in the coming weeks, we're going to be looking at how do you restore broken relationship? How do you deal with conflict? How do you deal with hurt and pain and the need to forgive? And and eventually, we're also going to look at, okay, how do we be good friends? How do we become better friends? How do we actually love people? What's that look like in a relationship as you walk along? So that's what we're going to come to in the coming weeks. In Proverbs 18, 24, it says this. There are friends who destroy each other, but a real friend sticks closer than a brother. Now, as we go into this, it's really important that we uh, take a particular focus because this is not an exercise in I'm not treated right. This is not an exercise in people haven't loved me. People haven't taken care of me. People haven't looked after me. I know that there is need to deal with that at times, but today I want us to be in this simple place, simple mindset. How can I love like Jesus? Okay? In the coming weeks, we may look at how we deal with hurt and disappointment in a relationship. But today, this is about how can I love like Jesus? How can I step out and care for people? How can I do as Jesus has done for me? In Matthew 7, 12, it says, So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. So if you are feeling let down today, as we go through this, think about, okay, well, this is how I would like to be treated. So this is how I am going to love. So if you are struggling, don't remain silent before God. Take your burdens to Jesus. But also know this. As we begin to love like Jesus, our relationships begin to change. As you choose to be the best friend you can be, even when someone has hurt you, even when someone has disappointed you, even when someone has let you down, you begin to see Jesus working in that friendship. As you love people, you let Jesus take over. And people begin to see Jesus in you. Okay? So Jesus is the example. And point two is this. God desires relationship. God desires friends. The relational gospel. In James 2, verse 23, you hear uh, of Abraham. It says, Abraham was a friend of God. It says that out of his faith in God, because he believed God, he developed a relationship with him. He became a friend of his. And it's always, the whole story of creation is about relationship. 
God made the world because he desires to know you. It came from a place of relationship. God, the Trinity, one being, three persons. It says in Genesis 1, 26, let us make mankind in our image, our likeness. From the very start, a relationary God created a people with him, with, with whom he desires relationship. It says it's not good for man to be alone. So not only does God desire relationship with you, he desires us to have relationship with one another. He desires uh, not that we hide ourselves away, but we begin to dwell together, that we know each other, that we love one another. And the story of salvation was, was that of, okay, I need to restore that love relationship between myself and my people. That's what God is about. But it's also working because God desires to see the end of separation between uh, mankind upon the earth. You know, sin, from the very moment it, uh, it, was, uh, it, it came out in that way, it brought about separation between God and man, but it also, sin creates separation between you and I. It creates separation between you and your neighbor, in your family, and so forth. It happened from the very beginning, from the moment that sin kind of uh, entered the heart of Adam and Eve. In that moment, Adam, he blamed Eve, brought enmity between the two of them. And you think about the next generation, the, the anger towards another person, the envy and the rage between brothers, and Cain making the decision to kill his brother out of that rage. So you begin to see that the gospel does more than just reconciling us to God. It's beyond that. That is awesome. And there's more that God desires to do. It provides a way for our relationships to flourish. It, is, it provides a way that you and I can uh, connect. You and I can relate. You and I can have relationship um, in a way that we couldn't before. The, the story of the gospel and how it works itself out in our lives is about bringing uh, that, that journey, that connectedness for each one of us um, into that story. And there's, there's no doubt that when you're in a church family, there's no doubt that when you're doing life together, there's no doubt that when you're praying together and growing together and seeking the best for one another, that begins to show you this is what a restored relationship looks like. Ministry, the, the thing that you are called to do with your life, is always relational. You know, when we worship, when we serve God, it's about our relationship with God. But our worship goes beyond God, but by worshiping God, we reach out to people. It's missional, it's ministry. It's who we were created to be. We're called in the, the great commandment to love God and to love our neighbor. So not long after washing the disciples' feet, Jesus gave another, what he called a new commandment. Something new for them to take hold of. And in John 13, 34, it says this, Now I am giving you a new commandment. 
love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. What proves that you're a follower of Jesus Christ? What proves that you uh, love Jesus and that Jesus is living inside you? is how you love others. It's how you reach out to others, how you relate to people. And in, in the midst of John, as this story is being told and, and the chapters flow, this story kind of like uh, of the need to love and to take hold of this commandment increases. And in John 15, where uh, Jesus is sharing about the story of the, the, the vine and the branches, simply saying, look, when you abide in the vine, when you abide in me, you will produce much lasting fruit. In the midst of that, uh, verse 12, he says, again, this is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay one's life down for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. The command, love in the same way as you have been loved by God. You are a friend, Jesus says, of mine, if you do what I command. It's like obedience leads to relationship. Living by God's will compels us into loving relationships. So how we relate to people matters. How we relate to those that actually we find it harder to love matters. We see the gospel at work in us, Jesus alive in us by the way that we love. And this is really important because some people it's not hard to love, okay? And this is acknowledged by Jesus in Scripture. In Matthew 5, it says... If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You see, the command to love is not just, you know, those people that love you. The command to love is to go beyond. The people that are not like you the people that you prefer not to spend time with in your flesh, the people that uh, you need to reach out to step across boundaries and separation in order to love them. Because that is the example that we see from Jesus. That table-turning, game-changing, life-transforming saviour is who we are to follow. The example has been set. And when I think about this, I you know, it feels like, wow, this is too lofty. This is too high. How do I move from where I am now to that place where you're able just to pour out that unconditional love, that relentless love, that concern for the individual? This, this is why Jesus come to make us new. The old has to go and the new has to come. And the other thing to say is this. According to the world, according to the way that man uh, exists, 
This is not expected of us. Because of sin, because of darkness, mankind does not seek to reach out, does not seek to love people that are different. Because of what mankind is like, we distrust people. We choose to separate ourselves. We seek independence rather than dependency. We push people away and we lack patience with people. And we don't give people second chances. And beyond that, you know, we hate, we scorn, we look down upon, we think of ourselves more important, we shame and we judge people. And on the flip side, we hold other people up and we envy them and we look to them. And it, this separation is not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about uh, reconciliation. Jesus came and showed us who God is. And this is God's heart for us. It says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So in Jesus, we see who God is, what God is like, and how God treats people. And we are to follow in his footsteps. So while the world loves based on what can be done for me, Jesus says, Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. The outworking of the gospel, the fact that I am loved and reconciled to God is shown, is revealed through my depth of love for others. So the important step, I think, for all of us when it comes to, okay, um, I know I'm called to love people. We can't deny that. I know that I'm called to reach and to, to love people as Jesus had loved me. I think the place that we come to is, okay, well, how have you loved me? Because this is personal. This is about your own relationship with God. This is about you and him. And you start there. How has God loved me? When I've rejected God, The amount of times, too, too many to kind of count. When I've rejected him, he's still loved me. When I've distrusted him, when I've, you know, sought to, to do it my own way, when I've pushed him aside, he's still loved me. And even the times when I've hurt God, because of the things that I've done or the things that I've said or the other people that I've hurt, God still loves me. When I've honoured people over God and when I've worshipped things, God still loves me. He still cares. He still desires me. He still calls me back to himself. And he still, he still died for me. He chose to suffer for me, even when I was an enemy of his. It says in scripture, Christ died for me. So out of the revelation and the ever-deepening revelation of God's grace through the cross, of the power of the cross to set us free, 
of the extent that Jesus went to to lay down his life and to reveal his love to us. Out of that revelation of the, the, the amazing love that is shown to me, I am compelled to go and love others in the same way. It's always been that order. The great commandment to love God and love people has to be that way. You can't run around trying to love people uh, without loving God in the first place. There is an order to this. It is out of your love for God that he pours into us the ability to love others. It says in scripture, we love because he first loved us. So how do we love unconditionally? How do we do it? How do we go about it? And I think scripture is very clear. It's Christ living in us by his spirit. In my flesh, I remain in that place of distrust, of looking after number one, of caring only for myself. But when the spirit is living in me, when Jesus takes control, where Jesus uh, is, is of the highest place in my heart, I have the freedom, the ability, the opportunity uh, to minister his love into people's lives. So that's it. We're called to relate to others by the Spirit. We're called to love by the Spirit. And it's about more of God in us. We've seen how Jesus treated people. And it's unless, unless it's Jesus in us, what hope do we have to treat people in the same way? It's by the Spirit living in us. John 7, 37 to 39. I love these verses. Fills me with so much hope. It says, on the last day, the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds, anyone who is thirsty may come to me. Anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare, rivers of living water will flow from his heart. When he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit, who would be given to everyone believing in him. But the Spirit has not yet been given, because Jesus has not yet, had not yet entered his glory. When it comes to my life, when it comes to me thinking about how I love others, I realize that I am thirsty. I'm empty. In me, it's not there. The compassion doesn't well up in me unless I drink of the Holy Spirit. Unless the Spirit of God is being poured in, there's nothing that I can pour out. These verses fill me with so much hope because it's that contrite a humble heart that comes to Jesus that says, I need more of you. I need more of you so I can be you to the people in my life. You know, relationships, they change people. Relationships shape people. And so often, I find that relationships do damage so often I find that it's relationships that people go back to when they talk about rejection, when they talk about the pain, when they talk about the hurt that they've been through. It's due to a relationship. But relationships also have the power to give life. 
Relationships also have the power to lift people up. Relationships have the power to transform people and shape them and to lead them towards a, a, a life of following Jesus Christ. So how can I relate people and be a life giver? How can I relate to people and uh, be one that, that lifts people's heads, that encourages and strengthens and speaks good things and calls out purpose and calls out God's best for their life? It's by the Spirit of God living in me. How can living water flow from my heart, flow from me? It's by connecting to the source. It's the Spirit of God. It's the Spirit that is available today because, thank God, Jesus is in glory and he poured out his Spirit upon all fresh. And we have opportunity as followers of Jesus to receive the Holy Spirit and to allow the Holy Spirit to overflow in our lives. And what does the Holy Spirit do? Well, the Bible says in Galatians 5, it produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. They're relational gifts. What the Spirit pours in is for you as you touch and you reach and you speak and you deal with people. And what I love about this is that when it comes to reaching people, as it comes to loving people, we can actually uh, remove those limitations. So often, you read the story of Jesus, and as I read it, like, I, don't, I couldn't do that. I don't know how I could reach out to people in that way. I don't know how I can speak those words of encouragement. But when the Spirit of God is in you, when Jesus is flowing through you, it says that uh, this living water flows from you into the lives of others. So it comes down to this. The degree to which Jesus is alive in me will determine how much I can love others. Our lives are about people. We're placed in families. You live amongst people. You go to work with people. You uh, walk down the road. You go into a shop. You deal with people. I know that technology is trying to take over, but... We're about people. We're about relationships. We've been called to live among people, not to separate ourselves. 1 Thessalonians 3 says this. This is Paul speaking. May the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow, just as our love for you overflows. Band, you can come back. It goes on to say this, May he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. Now, I love the uh, English Standard Version of this. It's not up on the screen. But it says this, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you so that he may establish your hearts, blameless in holiness before our God the Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And it's like the result, what, what Paul's writing here, the result of our love abounding, the result of love overflowing to all people is hearts being blameless in holiness. It is being able to stand before the Lord Jesus it is about rejoicing when Jesus returns. 
Now, it is by faith that we are saved. It's by putting your trust that Jesus died and rose again for the forgiveness of my sins. But as Jesus seeks to work out uh, our holiness in us, as that sanctification works, the expected result, the fruit that he desires, the fruit that he wants in your life is how you relate to other people. It's how you love. It's that overflowing, ever-increasing, abounding love to one another. You know, when the Holy Spirit comes in, it's the Holy Spirit that makes us holy. And the fruit of the Spirit, overflowing and abounding, is a sign of what's in our hearts. The Bible says, a good tree produces good fruit. What's in you will manifest in your relationships. So the thing is, for me this morning, is I want to come back to that place of, well, the command is clear. I've been, I've been called to, to love. I've been called to do as Jesus has done for me. I've been called to relate to people following the example of Jesus. And I don't know about you, but I need help there. I think this is the gospel message being outworked in his people. This is what the message was always about. How we relate to people. So my only response is this. I come thirsty. I come desperate. I come needing of the Holy Spirit. And the scripture's clear that when Jesus pours in us, it's opportune for it to overflow. Why don't you stand? When the Spirit falls upon people, it says that your cup can overflow in Psalm 23. Or it's the thing, we don't want to put a limit on the Spirit filling our hearts and filling our lives. Because Scripture desires for it to overflow. Pours in to overflow. So our one response this morning is to invite the Holy Spirit to fill us again. I come because I need the Spirit to fill me again. And then the fruit of the Spirit can flow from me. So why don't you just take a... uh, a position of desiring God this morning. If you feel comfortable, just open your hands. It's a receptive position to say, yeah, I need the Spirit. If I'm to love people in the way that you love me, Jesus, I need you. I need you, Holy Spirit. I can't do this. And let's just wait upon the Lord for a moment. Lord, we come asking for an outpouring, asking for you to fill us again with your spirit. We're thirsty for you. We're desperate for you. We need you. We're just going to wait. We're just going to wait for the Spirit to come.
and touch us. Fill us and meet us where we are. band are going to begin to to sing but I also want to give you opportunity that if you if you know that you're running on empty if you know that there is nothing much more to give out and that desire to love as Jesus has loved um, if you'd like to come forward some of us will be happy to pray for that fresh infinity of the spirit that we so need Thank you, Jesus.